It was initially conceived in 2002, Freedom Highway. Yeah. Basically, the first thing I did was, um, a, well, I think probably even before 9-11, I was sort of fascinated by AM radio in the United States. You know, I would pick it up when I was traveling there. And uh, I'd wanted to do something with that content for a long time. And then um, I decided to time um, a, a road trip across the States uh, to coincide with the first anniversary of September 11, 2001. So in, yeah, the first two weeks, roughly, of September 2002, I just got in a car and modified the car radio so that I could um, record directly from the car radio to a little, I think it was a mini-disc recorder at the time. And I came back with 40 hours of stuff, 40 hours of um, uh, basically anger and xenophobia and hatred and ignorance. Um, and I, yeah. On the AM airwaves. Yeah, the, basically the, the only rule was listen to AM radio, drive, record everything. Where were you driving? I was like 20 or 22 states. Uh, I started from here. Uh, so I crossed into New York, and I just went south um, through, like, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Kentucky, all the way down to the south, and then went in over towards the coast and came up the coast. Uh, sort of went just around New York and then into New England and, um, and then home. And you're recording? It was like uh, about 4,000 kilometers I think I covered. Wow. Recording the whole time. Recording the whole time. I mean, and whenever I was driving, right? So uh, I dro drove for about 10 or 12 hours every day, something like that. So this was September 2002. Two, yeah. So there was two things that was happening. Uh, one was all the commemorations, yeah. the original commemorations for 9-11. And the second thing was that was the year that um, that uh, Bush was rolling out the, the, uh, the plan to invade Iraq, right? So 2002, September, he went and did that speech at the UN um, with Colin Powell and all that stuff. So there was basically it was like, okay, they were gearing up for um, getting Congress and everything to support the, that intervention. Um, and they were, that was accompanied by a huge, huge media push, which was, you know, very, uh, um, very, uh, um, Enthusiastically picked up by, um, you know, the the Fox network and the broadcasters, the AM broadcasters as well. Anyway, so basically, you know, there's just like a whole bunch of people that you hear everywhere you go. Mm -hmm. You know, that your Rush Limbaugh's and Sean Hannity's and Bill O'Reilly's and and um, Glenn Beck and all those people. And then there was pockets of of much less uh, uh, well distributed voices. But uh, so, like, basically, yeah, little, you know, one-station people, a lot of preachers, uh, a lot of um, people that, you know, seem to be broadcasting on very, very low band, low frequency, uh, low power uh, operations, you know. And so there's a, a wide variety of stuff, but when you listen to it and you put it all together, it, it kind of um, feeds into this over, overall 
coherence, you know, that is a mix of um, religious Christian fundamentalism coupled with, you know, politically very, very regressive um, uh, opinions. And this is sort of basically the, the, um, the media environment that eventually led to what's now called the alt-right. So actually, when you talked about this network of conservative radio, AM radio in the United States sort of pointing to um, this quote-unquote alt-right, or some people, I mean, depends on who you're talking to, but I mean, basically, like, white supremacist media mm-hmm. in, a, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, in, a, in a way, like for many years, the voices that you hear on those uh, networks were almost like ridiculed as this sort of post, like modern, you know, strange occurrence that was like very far from political reality, but this like sort of other America, so to speak. But mm-hmm. those voices have now entered the highest levels of power. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way, your piece seems like a time capsule, Emmanuel, your Freedom Highway piece, but its contemporary relevance is incredible. Well, um, one of the things that I, uh, that's occurred to me as I sort of revisit this material in preparation for tonight's show is, um, like, the phenomenon of the so-called filter bubble phenomenon, right? Um, echo chamber, all that stuff. Uh, it's sort of, I think, being analyzed at the moment as an essentially technological uh, innovation. Mm-hmm. And I would take issue with that analysis. Like, mm-hmm. basically, the this these recordings date from the AM radio, which is a very old medium from 15 years ago, well before, you know, Facebook and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And uh, the filter bubble was already very much in effect at that point, right? Like the the voices that that we hear mm-hmm. uh, on those on those call in lines and and other other channels are very much in a in a bubble all their own. And and I think that uh, what social media is doing at the moment is to exploit mm-hmm. this you know long standing uh, tendency mm-hmm. to surround ourselves with things that we know and things that we agree with and to exploit and to sort of benefit from from those patterns for you know largely um, uh, commercial reasons um, and I mean I, th- I think that there's a real issue there whether it's technological or social or a combination the, the issue is is simply that you know much as I uh, much as I would like to, you know, ridicule and dismiss these points of view and just leave it at that, um, you know, notwithstanding all the manipulation, notwithstanding all of the distortion, there are people who who really do espouse these views. There are there are a lot of people that espouse these views. Yes, it's adva- it's it's elevated to the highest levels of of political power in the states right now but there is there is this base you know there is this uh this um uh Mm -hmm. constituency that makes that possible and those are people 
And if we are going to dialogue with those people, you know, how the hell are we supposed to do that given the um, given the sheer incapacity that we have at this moment to engage with those points of view? You know, like, I can't do it. I, can't, I just switch off when I hear this stuff, you know, and, and revert to, to ridicule and, and contempt and disdain. And, you know, but I don't think that's good enough. I think that there, something else needs to bridge that gap. Um, and I think that the first step of that is listening. And so that's what I'm proposing to do uh, during the performance this evening. Wow. Well, I guess just to, to end here, that choice to actually use those voices in an artistic presentation. I mean, often people associate like aesthetics as being a huge part of like soundscapes or like, you know, sonic installations. But, you know, you obviously have a background in activism too. Um, the choice to use this material, it's disturbing material. It's not, you know, for, for the reasons you mentioned, it's difficult to listen to that choice to like work with this material in an artistic sense well yeah i don't know i i've i've not really resolved you know what the what the effect of this piece is i i i feel compelled to do it i think my view is that this piece works on an aesthetic level yeah um i don't know how it works on a political level uh, I'm, that's unclear to me. Um, I think that there's something there. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it's possible that, you know, for some people there's nothing there politically. And uh, my, my, you know, I, the last time I performed this piece was a really long time ago. It was like more than six years ago. And I chose to bring it out tonight mostly because of the of you know this this new uh these new political developments in the states and i thought that it would be interesting to to revisit these words in that light in that context and i don't know what's going to happen next well in a way it almost feels like incredible in the sense that you're almost reappropriating these voices and and putting them back out um, as an artist, um, also an artist, um, you know, who's been involved in migrant justice issues, but also personally, that's part of your own personal history, your family's history. Mm -hmm. um, it, it almost feels like there's an aspect of um, reappropriating those voices, or I don't know if that's the right word, but like you're taking power over those voices in this space tonight. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm... I'm I have ultimate control over, you know, over the contextualization of the voices, uh, and you know, and I, I edit them, you know, very in very decisive ways to sort of get my attitude across vis-a-vis -vis what's being said. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, in a, in a way, there's a, there's an element of reclamation there, mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's it's the piece is quite different from when I first. Uh, presented it like I've, I've actually taken a lot of the uh, most um, explicitly violent stuff out uh, I just didn't see the point of playing that anymore 
there's still a lot of horrible stuff in it, but it's, uh, it's evolved, you know, since the first few times that I presented it. Emmanuel, thanks. Sure. Thanks.